Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I am Haney. We are Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 234, recorded on August 29th, 2023. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. So, news-wise, on my side of things, has been a bit silent. So we had the uh, the update from Fabric, the August update Fabric that we received in July. Don't ask. And it wasn't as much of a f- update. It was more of a tome. Like if you would have printed all that and dropped it on your pet, well, you would have to bury your pet because it was enormous, absolutely enormous. And it, it kind of opened this this void. So it's been pretty quiet since. But the Excel people of everyone, they decided that, <laughs> yeah, hold my beer. It I, I I find myself in awe because they have now put Python in Excel. And that is equal parts complete madness and just amazing. It, it is literally taking the most dangerous piece of software ever devised and going thermonuclear. Is that Excel or Python? <laughs> Excel. But with, with Python, it, it opens up so many exceptional use cases that you simply could not do previously. This will mean that Excel is is getting entrenched even more, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure people will find new ways of using Excel in ways that they maybe should not do. Exactly. I'm just seeing a huge security concern. I'm expecting people to abuse... <laughs> Python in Excel <laughs> in the most creative ways possible to man or Elon Musk. Uh, so, like, can you give me an example of how you would use this for someone who doesn't write malware code? Doesn't write malware code, he said. Well, <laughs> exactly. So the the most um, obvious way, I think, would be to use uh, Gplot. You you have um, or or Matplot or or Seaborn or different thing. You can do uh, charts. You can do visualizations in Excel through Python. You can do that in, in Power BI as well. But well, we're not talking about Power BI. But now you can use these these uh, libraries straight out of uh, Excel. You can, if you want to. Again, I'm not sure this is a great idea, but you can use um, machine learning. So everything you can pretty much do in in normal Python, you can do, you can create a a classifier and you can have Python sort a a machine learning algorithm for you and you can get the result. In the example, they have a five-day weather forecast Mm -hmm. that you can get out of of, of Excel because everybody needs that, clearly. Why would you use Excel over Power BI? Oh, that's, it's not entirely the same thing. Thing, I think, and this is me guessing, it's going to be way 
easier to do Python stuff in Excel than in in, yeah. in, uh, in Power BI because in Power BI you need to have um, a, a Python interpreter. Here you literally just write Python in a cell and the contents get shipped over to Azure. It gets executed in Azure and you're going to get the result back. So there is nothing to set up. You you literally just type away and then boom, Bob's your uncle. We, we have a lot of more news items, but uh, <laughs> I have questions and I feel like a very grumpy old person. Yep. Uh, I, but but I, like, I, I could see my, my father, when I grew up, when he went to the bathroom, he always had like a huge book of Excel. So that's how he learned. He spent a lot of time in the bathroom. Uh, and I could see him using Python in Excel. Like he and a lot of other people that uses Excel for everything. My mm-hmm. father has actually drawn drawings for outdoor furniture in Excel because mm-hmm. that's the tool he, he he knows how to use. Yep. But the question is, would we like to do more things in Excel? I've met the most horrible things in Excel in my time as a endpoint manager. So agreed. I, I for the interest of everyone, um, and especially my mental health. We can move on and revisit this because I think it's an interesting, like 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 you said, you will be able to do so many things with it. It's just what is real. What are we trying to get to? What is yeah. the value that Microsoft is trying to create? But if you are an Excel guru or just fanatic fan or something like that, please let us know what you think. A fanatic fan. That that's kind of a tautology, <laughs> isn't it? Like the Department of Redundancy Department. But yes, let let's yeah. let's move on. Um with that, I had a bit of a hard time figuring out what to pick from the Power BI August update. But there was some small, really, really small updates, but uh really interesting. So one is the order buy. So you you can you can do a um sort order. It's, it's mm-hmm. called the, the order using mm-hmm. order by. But the problem with the order by is, or the, it, it used to be, you couldn't specify if you wanted blanks sorted high or sorted low. You just had to deal with it. Okay. I, I can't remember if, if you got them um, first or, or last. But now you can say blanks first or blanks mm-hmm. last. Meaning that if you if you don't have a, a value, that is going to be sorted either first or last. Mm-hmm. It's a tiny thing, but it's a huge quality of life update. Yeah. So really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. And also the last thing is get out of the um, the previous version, the, the July uh, version of Power BI <laughs> if you are using uh, Lakehouse, Fabric Lakehouse, because there, there are updates to the Lakehouse connector in the August version, which means that it's going to be way faster to query the Lakehouses, and there is really no point in staying with an old version. So if, if you're using Lakehouses and you want to query those through Power BI, go on the August uh, version. Great. And I, I had a couple of news items, which I will now change around a bit, because we have one item that I really want to talk to you about, or to really. So I will. I had a, a quite cool thing in Microsoft Purview, still one of the worst names ever, uh, but in terms of compliance. But I think we'll get back to that because I, I would really like to dive into Purview from a data 
and Azure point of view together with YouTube at some point. So I think we'll save that. Um, for Intune, there's a lot of news, but a lot of things is especially hitting GA. Things like group policy analytics is now GA. We have uh, just-in-time registration. We have a lot of things in terms of enrollment for iOS devices and so on. So a lot of things is moving from public preview to GA. And first, what is your thoughts about this entire public preview versus GA? Do you use public previews in, in your production environments at customers? Or, or how do you go about with the preview versus the general availability? Well, that's an interesting one. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, a public preview comes with a potential price. I mean, you, you should expect it to not necessarily blow up in your face. That's what mm -hmm. private previews are for. But they they can definitely fall over in spectacular ways. That's one yep. side of things. The other side that bothers me more, actually, is a lack of functionality. Um, and that Ooh. is my chief concern with, with Fabric. It, the, the stuff that is there is fantastic. The stuff that is not there is a pretty big issue. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, but my experience is that most of the private, uh, the public previews, they work pretty well. Um, they, they tend not to fall over in the most spectacular ways, but it, it happens. Your mileage may vary. And Haney, since you're working in the Azure side, you have a lot of things that are, have been in public preview for years and some things that never get there, but are in GI straight away. What, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it's kind of tricky because when something becomes comes into public preview, you don't necessarily know which of those it's going to be, whether it's going to be there forever <laughs> yeah. or whether it's going to like just breeze through it. Hmm. So it's kind of hard to know. Also, I don't think the maturity of the services is always reflected in whether it's public preview or GA. Like, it's not the same level that is required for all services. So I also see a variety of levels between the different Azure services that are out there. So in a lot of times, it's a little bit of an assessment because there is always some risk with public previews. Uh, you know, it not having the functionality or mm. it changing in some way that you are not expecting it to change, for example. So I think it's a case-by-case -case assessment a little bit. I, I don't think as a consultant, I can necessarily go ahead and say to a customer, I really recommend you to use a public preview. Uh, we have with some customers decided to use a public preview capability uh, because it's really been what we've needed. But then also in some cases, we have decided not to start using something that is in public preview due to the reason of the service being so critical that it's not just a risk they want to take. So I do think it's a little bit of a case-by-case -case assessment. How are we t talking about a completely new service or are we talking about a new capability in a service, for example? It's quite a huge difference which one of those it is. And, and to add to that, there, there are a few things that made me more irritated than uh, stuff that goes into public preview and stays there for years. Yeah. I mean, come on. E either you you GA it or you kill it off. Yeah. Just yeah. don't leave it in limbo because you do not know if you can trust it. Hmm. And and this is fascinating because I 
do understand your point with fabric, Alexander, but that is such a humongous thing. It's so many moving parts within it that will never mm-hmm. leave public preview if they're going to release it as a service because it will never be done. Because it's, it's, it's a monolith. They built a monolithic service in the day of microservices. And I know it's, it's, I'm not a developer, excuse my totally incapability of understanding how they've done it. But I think that is the risk. But the other thing is, I do not at all agree with you. Uh, because That's I would fair. gladly, rec- yeah, I would gladly recommend a public preview to to my customers within the technology areas where I'm active. Because in many many of those cases, it's actually a like you said, Hayne, it's a new capability. They haven't had anything like that before, mm-hmm. so they have very little to lose. And I think that is a difference when you work with Azure services because you integrate that into other things, so you build dependencies to have something that might never actually be released, while. Me, in most cases, just get new stuff. Mm, I can usually get away with, with it if it wasn't released. But in, in general, my view is that if something is released that you need or you have a need for, start using it. Because that will mean that either it will be killed off quicker or it will hit GA quicker. If no one goes for the public preview, well, then it won't hit GA. And if it brings value to your organization, do it. But I do think it's a big difference between our areas and, and what in, in the way mm. they are released. So that's another focus segment we should do. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would like to mention uh, and that I look forward to deep dive to, into at some other point is that we now have what's called MTO released. Multi-tenant organizations within Teams. So finally, if you are a multi-tenant organization, you will be able to collaborate almost seamlessly within Teams and more things to follow. So you will now be able to do side-by-side things in various tenants. You will be able to call, have meetings, search for people, chat between various tenants that your administrator trusts. This is something a lot of organizations have been waiting for, and it's a especially created for mergers and acquisitions where you want to start collaborate as soon as you possibly can without having any limitations in between those. And I will believe that when I see it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty jaded with, with teams. Just, yeah, yeah I, I do understand that. And they're very clear that you first need to get into the service. Then your administrator needs to set up the relationship with the other tenants. And then you have to deploy the latest teams agent or Teams client, then it should work. Mm. Note that this feature is obviously in public preview. And the last thing I would like to talk about, the new exam experience. Because Microsoft did, and I think we have mentioned this at some point, and I know that people have been asking for it. So I, I think it's supposed to be out in all the role-based assessments apart from the fundamentals exams within the near future. So from, I don't know exactly which state, you will be able to reach Microsoft Learn while doing your exam and actually reading up on a lot of things that is there. What's your thoughts on that? Is it good, bad, or is it a natural continuation of the exam process? I I do think it's more in line with what work is like in real life mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. things change so fast that you might not 
hold all the details in your mind and you can check on things if you need to. Uh, if I understood this correctly, it's you're not going to have time to look for every answer. It's more for verifying certain aspects. Like if you were like you weren't prepared at all and you were just going to go in and uh, rely on the fact that you can search for answers, you wouldn't have in- enough time to do that. So if it's mm. indeed done in that way, I think it's totally fine. Uh, it, it is maybe more realistic than real life. No, more realistic than... <laughs> Sorry, I mean more in line <laughs> with real life. Um, so I, I think it's kind of a natural continuation, but I do have to say that I, for example, would have liked to see the lab environments come back rather than this mm. come in. You know, I think that was more in line yeah. with what is actually required for those tasks. So, And I think that it's a bit of a bait and switch because everybody is busy looking at and having an opinion on the fact that you can now access Learn, but nobody has seemed to given much thought to what kind of changes can we expect for the questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because used correctly, this is a huge step forward for realism, as in mm-hmm. you're now facing proper questions mm-hmm. and not, which I still to this day remember from my Windows NT test, <laughs> uh, which radio button do you choose to enable Bonnie and Vine in Windows <laughs> NT4? Like, come on. But we, we've still had some kind of variation of this even yeah. to this day, like mm-hmm. these absolutely mm-hmm. useless, stupid questions that could easily be be looked up through through Learn. And mm-hmm. I'd argue that if you have that capability, you might as well just skip the question. Mm-hmm. But if you reformulate the questions in a mm-hmm. way that the the Learn stuff could be useful, not the answer, but useful, mm-hmm. then we are in a whole different area. I won't hold my breath because while I, I hold Liberty Munson in the highest regard, uh, mm-hmm. the stuff that I've seen from her and, and the the, uh, the small couple of words we've we've spoken a couple of years back, uh, that that's all good and well. The people creating the questions, we'll, we'll see. Is is what I think. So my follow up question, in my opinion, is that you are you're right. I expect the questions to change. And I also think it's good that the fundamentals aren't accessible through Learn because the fundamentals you should actually know. I still don't see the value of where do you click to do this, but I might actually see the value in which of these names is the accurate one because that might actually be a challenge if you say the wrong thing in in the wrong place. But I do expect the questions to change, and I do agree with Alexander on that. The question is, is it of enough value and interest to, especially the MCT community that have been providing with these these questions for years, to continue to do this? And it might actually be more time-consuming now, since you actually need to uh, do perhaps a little more complex questions than just asking about a remember question because going back to when i did plural site assessments uh, we needed to have a, a variation of remember understanding applying and forth i've forgotten 
uh, but some were a member. And the question is, will you take that away? Because of different ways of learning and different skills you're assessing. But it might be so that they are actually moving the remember questions to the fundamentals. And then you have the applying and understanding and all of those in the role-based exams, which I would, would I like. But uh, we can talk about the quality of questions. And I have opinions about especially mm-hmm. the renewal assessments. The Azure ones have been relatively good, but many of the Microsoft 365 ones have been of very low quality in terms of formulations and, and questions and validation of, of it. So my my view is that Microsoft Learn is trying to find their way forward. Um, and I do think it would be great to restart the MCT days again in some shape or form where where a lot of people are involved to get the feedback. Oh, we, we could have an interesting conversation around the the MCT. MCT. <laughs> but that's that's for another day, I think. Yes. We found a lot of focus segments today, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna end up with focused rants instead, but yes. Oh <laughs> I I that's mm-hmm. a great name for a podcast. Focused rant? Yeah, focused rants. I or Ram three sixty five. Well, now yes, uh, I, I just spelled. It was I tried to do a joke with entra and rant, but it didn't work out. So I will kick in an open door and ask Haney about front door. Ooh, lovely segue! Thank you. Thank so, you. <laughs> from my couldn't side contain of defense, myself. Uh, I I can tell that you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> So from my side of the fence, uh, as well, it seemed like there was quite kind of this quiet phase going on right now. Uh, and there wasn't any like very huge updates, in my opinion. Uh, there is a new Azure front door integration capability with Azure Storage in GA now that allows you to then... Uh, better host your static content from Azure Storage and have a front door and a web application firewall in front of it. And this has been actually a pattern that people have been trying to do a lot in Azure, to have your static website actually hosted in Azure Storage. And then kind of when you've needed more capabilities on top of that, that has been what has been hard so far. So it seems that this uh, front door capability will enable you to actually make those more complex scenarios true, that you can actually have a cache and you are able to easily have a TSL certificate uh, things set up and so forth, which has been a little bit of a, like a, not the smoothest of experiences previously. So something that has been maybe thought that, of course, this is easily possible in Azure and in like simple setups, yes, but in more complex scenarios, it has been actually a little bit difficult. I I have a customer which would really need this. So I see scenarios where this would be super valuable. Yeah. Even I do that. Even you do that. That's even I. Even I, the, the boring endpoint person, even I see the joy of new Azure front door services. Excellent. Then we can talk about Azure Container App updates. And there was many, many little ones, which 
to me really speaks about that, yes, this is actually a really fresh service still. It is not mm -hmm. very old. So we've had things that you would think are already there. There's course <laughs> support, so cross-origin resource sharing support now, which is kind of kind of basics if you're doing any kind of websites or anything like that. There is session affinity in place now. So if you have some kind of uh, stateless, stateless application that requires that your client always connects to the same replica. And then there's a few other more complex updates. So there is this init container. So this is for, as the name says, if you need to initialize something before your container starts, this can do mm. that for you. So like kind of what you need to do beforehand. And then there is updates to how secrets are handled. So you can use Azure Key Vault secrets as references, which is, I think, kind of a should be a standard nowadays. So really glad to see that there. And also then you are able to mount secrets as volumes, which is quite standard in the container world that you would mount them, mount them as volumes and not just use this, them as environmental variables. And I would like to apologize for my bad jokes before. Crickets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Crickets. And if I hadn't done that, we actually had been on time. Now, well, I was about to say that this episode is actually going to come in slightly under time. Yeah. And that's a first, so we might as well I think that's good. leave it. But yeah, yeah. no, it's, it, it's been fairly quiet, uh, but it's... Um, it's been interesting. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as always, a great conversation. I am looking forward to the uh, next uh, Focus episode, the signed Painty. So we'll see Can't you in wait. a week. Can't wait. Have a good one. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Native in Tech. Native in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmarinen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at nativeintech.com.